Today on the Solomon's Corner podcast, we are going to be talking about our origin story, about the inspiring intellectuals like Dr. J. Budd, Andrew Clavin, A.G. Sertiange, Abraham Kuyper, and Reverend Canon Phil Ashey, and how those individuals, in some way or another, inspired us to start Solomon's Corner. We also have a lot of big news items for you about things that we have up and coming, projects that you will definitely like to hear about, so stay tuned. You are listening to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. Join us as we explore the depths of theology, philosophy, and the Christian intellectual life. Welcome to the Psalms Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts. I'm joined by Lindsay, my beautiful, lovely woman of the night, a.k.a. my wife. And I am a woman of the night, but it's not the kind of woman of the night that... You want to make it more awkward? Some people might be thinking of. No, <laughs> I want to explain what I do at night. I'm not a woman of the night. I'm not I, a woman uh, of the night. What I'm... I do is I edit podcasts yes. late at night. I make yeah. sick graphics and <laughs> memes for my husband to put on. Stop. We're going to cause somebody to stumble. <laughs> All right, so uh, we got some big news today. Today we're going to be talking about, this is our 25th episode, which means that we are a quarter of the way to our 100 episode uh, goal, and so we, uh, you know, for those that don't know, there's a lot of new people who have come onto the podcast, and we, when my wife and I decided to, Lindsay, uh, aka the woman of the night, uh, when she and I decided that we were going to start this podcast, um, we said, well, we don't really know how it's going to go, so... Let's see uh, what happens after 100 episodes. That's what everybody says to do. And so we set a goal of trying to get over 100 subscribers to the podcast, and we hit that goal relatively quickly. So that's good news. Um, As a result, we have some big news items uh, that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, at the end of, you know, our origin story, so to speak, to get everybody who's new caught up. Um, We have a – but the things that we're going to talk about at the end are going to be the e-store, uh, interviews, affiliate marketing, publishing, and um, our Rumble and YouTube channels. So, really, what we're wanting to know is, or wanting to tell you guys, is how you can support us and mm-hmm. what new projects we're working on. Right. So, uh, I'm not going to go into that detail now because I want to get to the actual content for you. But just know that if you can't make it through all of those amazing new items, uh, make sure that you email us. Uh, interviews or products or affiliate uh, marketing that you would want us to try and go after. Um, We are trying to make this into a viable business. So uh, we want to know what you guys want to support. So um, one of the things that we did was we said, all right, we're going to do giveaways for Andrew Clavin's A Strange Habit of Mind. We bought 10 of those books because we believe in what Andrew Clavin's trying to do, but we also want to support uh, authors like him, and one of the things that we want to do is publishing. So um, we're trying to get uh, you know our listeners a, a vibe for the kind of content that we would like to publish, and so stay tuned for more of the uh, information on that. But in the meantime, send us your thoughts, your ideas, products that you think that we should pursue. Please send those to mail at solomonscorner.com, mail at solomonscorner.com, and even if you have my phone number, uh, please use mail at solomonscorner.com because that way we can have it all nice and organized and keep it together. And we don't have to type it up when you and I are catching up on the phone. So uh, with that being said, um, clearly we're a startup podcast. If you're telling listeners, hey, uh, if you got my phone number, <laughs> which is only like 20 of you, so that's only 20%. Um but, uh, so anyway, we have some giveaways and things like that. On to the origin story. So, um, Solomon's Corner basically started last year. Uh, we went to a event for uh, the Anglican Church in North America in uh, Somerville, South Carolina, where we, uh, I had the opportunity to interact with Reverend Phil Ashey of the American Anglican Council. They support the Anglican Church in North America. And uh, frankly, I'm not entirely up on all the details of what their organization does. I probably should... Uh, learn about that before we have them onto the podcast. Uh, we're fairly new to the Anglican Church, so you know you're gonna just have to deal with our ignorance. But hey, at least we're humble, right? Um, we're not gonna 
We're not, <laughs> you know, sometimes you meet those Catholics and they're like, oh, yes, I'm very hardcore Catholic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, wow. Like, what do you know? Like, I love St. Augustine. Ah, okay, cool. Man, you must have been a Catholic for a long time. Well, yes, I, I have been. And then their friend shows up and they're like, hey, Jim, we missed you at the Baptist church. <laughs> <laughs> How's your new Catholic church going? Ah, uh, great. Uh, I was just talking to my friend in a deep voice trying to sound really, really pious. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, back to the Ignite conference. That's where we were at. Phil Ashey gives a excellent talk on Daniel in the lion's den and the leftism and critical race theory and LGBT stuff that's coming through the Anglican Church in North America. And uh, that's the denomination that Lindsay and I are in. And so there's a conservative, uh, a lot of conservative Christians in uh, the ACNA, but there also is a significant portion that are starting to move more towards leftist ideologies. And so uh, we are concerned about that. And so I went to this conference and, uh, some friends of ours, uh, brought it up, said that we should go. And so I ended up being the chauffeur for a lot of people. Um, and, uh, I took our minivan down there with about five or six people, right? Man, it was a, it was a rocket. It was, group. A, it was a, it was a, it was a party. That's for sure. <laughs> but anyway, um, we get there and after this talk, it's essentially like, you know, you need to be prepared not to bow to the idols. You need to be willing to be thrown into the lion's den. And if God wants to keep us from being burned in the fire, then so be it. And it, it was beautiful. It was very well, well uh, spoken. Um, but I felt like it was really directed at one specific generation. And I think this is a problem that is throughout all of these denominations. It's almost like the boomers are unaware that the millennial generation is now the adults uh, that are in the country running things like businesses and politics and policies and all this kind of stuff. And which, so like, which really quick, I just yeah. want to say, it makes me think of that time that, uh, that, oh my goodness, I'm blanking, uh, Mike Pence. This yeah. was like a few years ago and Mike Pence said, yeah. It's all the COVID is spreading because of all these millennials partying down in Miami on spring break. And all of us millennials are looking at each other like we've been we've been out of college for 10 years. Like yeah. we're all moms and dads yeah. now or at least have jobs right. or something. Like but. and the irony was he was interviewed. He was being interviewed by Ben Shapiro. That's right. Whose staff <laughs> was basically all millennials. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. So anyway, it was kind of one of those vibes. And um, and I got up to the mic and I decided to ask Phil Ashey a question because the ACNA has really uh, reinvigorated my personal relationship with God. Uh, I went to seminary, uh, I had got a master's in philosophy, and um, I think anybody who does that can can find themselves in a little bit of a um, people say putting God in a box, but the philosophical education that I had didn't put God in a box and, and taught us what's wrong with talking like that. But <clears throat> it definitely made it so that God was more of a subject to study rather than a being to worship, uh, at least for me personally. That, that may not be the experience of everybody, but um, it was a difficult, uh, difficult road to kind of navigate and amongst a lot of evangelicalism, there just wasn't a place for um, philosophically-minded individuals to, to, to connect. So if you went into a church and you didn't have uh, a biblical studies degree, a lot of evangelicals would be like, well, what are you talking about? Even in, in some of the Anglican churches I've heard since we've, since we've joined, that, uh, you know, it's biblical theology is, is better than systematic theology, which is dumb because biblical theology is still a systematic theology. Whatever your theology is, it's systematic. And so anyway, um, when we got into the ACNA, I say all that to bring up the fact that the ACNA really helped mesh the the intellectual rigor that I had gotten in my education alongside a lot of a, a very personal and deep uh, relationship with God and gave a liturgy to kind of join those things together. And it was a big game changer for me in my Christian faith. What else? What, what were you going to say? No, that was what I was... I was going to say exactly what you were just saying, that... Oh. that Put your spin on it. Yeah. Go for it. I mean, I would just say that the Anglican Church 
it brought so much beauty and richness back into our faith. And it, particularly things like the ordering of one's body, it seemed like it was a Christianity for the whole self and for the community. It was not just the feelings based, you know, going to church, have a cheerleader on the stage who gets you all pumped up like for a football game, and then a TED talk followed by more pump you up, send you out. The Anglican Church had a holistic Christian, I don't know, method, discipleship process. I mean, just the whole service itself is beautiful. And I would say it captures every piece of the person. Yeah. So, um, well, it incorporates all of the, uh, you're it, it like you're saying it brings it brings the whole person together mm-hmm. but also it puts a lot of onus on parents to mm-hmm. raise their kids yep. and so there was a lot of things that the anglican church gave us that just wasn't necessarily uh there that's not to knock on all the other denominations i think that they all have their strengths and they all have their weaknesses and the acna definitely has their weaknesses which is probably why they're going to split soon but the 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 thing that happened at the ignite conference was that uh, while we're there, there's a Q&A, and I basically raise my hand, and I go up to the mic, and I say, hey, out of these 250 people, if you're a millennial, please raise your hand. And only three hands went up in the whole place. And for me, I did not appreciate the aspect of how focused it was on, on the boomer generation and not considerate of the younger generation and what we will have to wrestle with after the boomers are gone. For me, I look at the boomer generation and say, you have a lot of wisdom, you've lived a lot of life, and you can come alongside us and counsel us on how we should stand strong after you're gone. But not just stand strong because, you know, we're going to just get thrown into the furnaces, but to be proactive and actualized towards a specific kind of cultural reformation because we have the the um, the youthfulness that's necessary for this kind of thing, um, you know, you can't you can't do a reformation when you're 90 years old. You know, that's not your role in a reformation. Now, maybe God has different plans or whatever, but you know, uh, the, generally speaking, when 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 changes happen, it's because the 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 younger people who have the the bodies and the minds that can endure uh, the the censorship and the the soft persecution that sometimes occurs or hard persecution, depending on what, what country or area you're in or ethnicity you are during that time, that's what you need. You need to have a strong, youthful constituency that's willing to put it on the line. But you, but that youthfulness, that youthful constituency has to know what they're putting their, their careers and their reputations on the line for. And so I said, you know, what can you tell the younger generation to do um, in order for us to not lose the Anglican church. Because as much as I appreciate this, I've got young kids and I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to fight for a denomination that really had a major impact in my life so that my kids have the same benefit. Well, and on top of that, we don't want to just throw in the towel and say, okay, well, we'll just put our heads down and allow the persecution to come for our children. We'd like to do something to prevent that, right. to keep it from getting to that point. Yep. And so uh, Reverend Ashy was really, really great, gracious and uh, took the question in stride because it was pretty pointed. And uh, I don't remember what his answer was because, uh, and I, I don't know if he would remember his answer, but that question became a topic in between the sessions uh, for me and a lot of other people around the audience. And it was really encouraging to me because a lot of people came up and said, you're totally right. We need to be thinking about the next generation. We need to be praying for you guys. We need to, we need to think about what it means to be a support to the younger generation. Um, but I still left a little bit discouraged because like, well, what are we supposed to do? Because if, if, if the younger generation doesn't actually step up, then the ACNA is going to be in trouble. And, and, and just, like, in general, not, not to say, like, we could save the ACNA or anything like that, but if, if young Christians, meaning the millennials and Gen Z and Gen X, just sit on their butts 
and keep complaining about pronouns and keep complaining about corporate America and keep complaining about vaccines but still wear all their masks and still participate in all this stuff. And then they just kind of huddle and complain and and just basically live out their life and say, well, you know, what do you want me to do? That's not a winning strategy. That's guaranteed. You sit on your butt, you're guaranteed not to play. Yeah. So, you know, we came back from the Ignite conference and and I basically said, yeah, I think we should probably reconsider what God has gifted us to do during this time. And I came back and talked to Lindsay, uh, my wife, and uh, I said, I think we need to like try and do something, uh, see what sticks. Well, it's not like you came home and dropped a bomb on me. This was something that we had been talking about for a long time, but I had pushed off because I was overwhelmed having three kids That's in right. 18 months' time. And I had asked you... And I was a good husband. You were and a I great submitted. husband. Stop. We had a little bit of a role reversal there <laughs> where Lindsay was calling a lot of the shots. No. Well, yeah, actually, that probably is a little bit true, Miles. Pretty much. But no, I wouldn't say I was calling the shots. To I be was, fair, I if you're putting, a husband but acting for, like a child, exactly. your wife's going to be a mom. Yep. A couple times I found you trying to strangle me in my sleep. <laughs> if I recall correctly. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just sleep strangling. It was yeah. just, you know, a sleep condition yeah. that, I mean, thankfully it's seemed to have yeah. worn off at this point. It's true. I yeah. don't know. I'm still alive. Yeah, there's no there's no record uh, for sleep stabbing yet, but, no. but hopefully hopefully the Roberts family is That's not right. the, uh, the first ones. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you basically told me, you know, if you do this, you know, I'll never I'll never stay with you again. To be clear, that is not at and all what actually <laughs> If I catch you trying to write another blog, if you you're try and, dead to if me. If you try and save if you try and, and if you post one more Twitter, one more tweeter, one more tweet, and you are dead meat, Mister. <laughs> That's what she told me. Everybody, she told me that, and then she called her friend and brought her over to the house, and she said the same thing, oh and it was like goodness. being ganged up on. And I was like, "Listen, I just wanna, I just wanna do the work of the Lord. Just wanna save America." No, but in all seriousness, through some conversations with really wise men and professors at universities across the country. We were told, yes. hey, uh, you should pursue yeah. a career that will afford you um, doing what you love on nights and weekends. Yep. And I I took that to heart, especially <laughs> considering. Yeah. Well, for, for the record, we're being ambiguous about who these professors are because we would love to be affiliated with them, but we're not yes. quite sure yeah, they want to be affiliated with us. <laughs> We know we're so, still a couple of rogies right yeah, now. Yeah, so that's right. We're, you not, know? we're not cool yet. We don't yeah. have a couple thousand followers. But guys, once we get mean, there, once we get there, we'll do the name dropping. Yeah, but for now, yeah. we don't need a professor yeah, getting canceled yeah. off of the fact that we were mentioned on on a podcast that has I at least one. I never knew him. Yeah. yeah. And we know that we have at least 2% non-binary listeners. So, you know, we're, <laughs> we, got, we got some rogues in here. We see you. <laughs> Um, so but, anyway, we, uh, no, but I was going to say we, you had wanted to do cultural engagement after finishing your master's yeah. degree since doing PhD work was not looking yeah. like it would provide a fruitful career in paying for me yeah. and three children. True. And so, so I had said, I can't, yeah, I can't handle that and I can't support it right now. And I asked you to just provide for us and take care of us and you have, and you did. And I told you that I would continue to pray that God would make me open to cultural engagement when the time was right. And so you came home from this conference and said, hey, I think now's the time. If there's ever a time that we're going to do cultural engagement, I think now is it. And I said, all right, yeah, I think I'm ready to support you and help you. So. And you came up with a name. I did. Well, I came up with a long list of names. Yeah, but this was the best one. That's true. Well. Let me say this. I don't remember any of the other names I chose at this point, but my word, I had so many different names. Yeah, this was the one you didn't want, though. I don't think I liked this one that much. I know much. that I you was, didn't. Because yeah, I was I like, just, yeah, Solomon's Corner, that looks cool. And I was like, what? That one's like the lamest of all of them. I had some cool names, but I don't remember them anymore. So, yeah, I was the one that made the list of names from which you chose Solomon'sCorner.com. Yes. So we come back. We that That was the impetus for... Solomon's Corner. Is that, is that, did you finish your thought? Yeah, because remember I said the part about naming it. Okay. And so, so anyway, Lindsay figures out that. And so that's what happened. So, yeah, we kind of, the Ignite Conference basically becomes this impetus for us to basically say, all right, 
we it's need time. to we need to start engaging in culture. So prior to that, there were several other things that happened. Um, mainly, Ben Shapiro and uh, what was known as the intellectual dark web was just starting to kind of become a, a mainstream element. Well, they're still not considered mainstream, but they were not what they were, what they are today. And so we were watching Andrew Clavin and we were watching Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder and these other guys. And we were at a uh, seminary still or had just graduated at this point. And uh, Ben Shapiro had just started his, his Sunday special. And one of the people he interviewed was Andrew Clavin. And I had no idea who Andrew Clavin was at this point. Um, but this ties into the, uh, the, the, the publishing side or the writing side or the content side and the book club and all that kind of stuff um, with what Andrew Clavin said in this, in this interview. And I, I had grown up in a Christian household. And we just a little backstory on this. I grew up in a Christian household with with homeschooling and great godly parents, and, and they're still around, and, and lots of brothers and sister, well, lots of brothers, one sister, and I did not like reading. It was not until I got into seminary and I realized there was this whole world of philosophy and and uh, literature that was around uh, thought, and I really liked thinking. I really liked thinking about ideas. I liked talking to people about ideas and stuff like that. I just thought that when you read books, you were supposed to be reading novels, and that's just what you did. And so I was an athlete in college, and uh, but my mom was very much a reader, still is a reader, and uh, I would get given a lot of books. A lot of times they were Christian books, and I did not find them uh, very, very interesting because if you knew your Bible, you could predict the ending. And I didn't really know how to uh, give a one-liner to explain this until... Andrew Clavin on this interview, and it's it, it'll be in the show notes, uh, but it's on YouTube still. It's like Sunday special number 25. It's, it's crazy to see how much they've changed over the last couple of years just watching that interview. But Andrew Clavin basically says uh, at the very beginning, you know, he, he when he became a Christian, he, he prayed to God, you know, please don't make me a Christian author. And uh, the reason why is because Christian authors always write the same thing. It's, you know, I lost my bunny and Jesus got it back for me. And so that's that was one of the things about uh, that really resonated with me was that I, I didn't understand. I thought, I thought that I was missing something or that there was just something off with me. And that's why I didn't like reading some of these books. But in actuality, uh, somebody as accomplished as Andrew Clavin, uh, he kind of put a little bow on, you know, that experience for me. And I realized, yeah, there, there's a there's a problem there. And um, and then fast forward, Game of Thrones becomes this big prominent thing, and everybody's like, should you watch it? Should you not? Because it's pornographic, and Christians were watching it with the Vid Angel, and others were just watching it, and people were like, but how could you watch it? Because there's all this pornography, but it's a great story, and so there's all this this conversation going around. So uh, my wife and I, we were like, well, what's this all about? We decided to watch one of the first seasons, and we get sucked in. And this is not an endorsement of Game of Thrones. This is, you know, if you guys want me to talk about, you know, what I think about the series and things like that, shoot me an email at mail at com or message me on Twitter and we'll consider doing an episode on it. But the, the, the thing about the show was that there were a lot of scenarios that parallel the Bible. And, uh, for example... Uh, there's a decree that goes out to kill the the firstborn of every of every family because there's a king that's supposed to be the heir, and uh, because it's an HBO film, they uh, they they go into the details of all these lives, and one of them is a prostitute, and so you see the life of the prostitute in the brothel, and she has a child in there, and the the owner of the brothel, who's a horrible character, lets her keep it, and the whole show is kind of, you don't know who's going to die, and you don't know what tragedy is going to strike next, and it's very nihilistic to a certain extent. It's very gritty. And this decree comes down, and this is just a side character, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they go through, and they uh, the, the soldiers come, and they're going from house to house, and you've pretty much kind of forgotten about this character at this point, and then all of a sudden, you know, they go in, 
and they take the child from the prostitute, and this is like her little little hope that she can hang on to despite the fact that she's got this horrible life that she has to live as a prostitute. And you don't think about those things very often when you're reading the Bible, but when you when you read the Bible and you, you see, you know, that Herod, you know, decrees that all the, the firstborn shall be killed or, you know, any of these kinds of attacks on, you know, uh, the firstborn in the Bible, you, you sometimes just gloss over what the impact would have actually been like. And in that moment, there was kind of this combination of Andrew Clavin, because all these guys were talking about the Game of Thrones stuff, and then Andrew Clavin's writing Another Kingdom, and I'm listening to that, and, and, and really suddenly starting to find this love of literature, and realizing that Christian literature has really just kind of uh, left a gaping hole. And so this gets into the, you know, the, the thing that we wanted to do with, the, with Solomon's Corner was we want to actually create mature content that is good for Christians and non-Christians. That doesn't mean it's pornographic. It just means that we're not going to shy away from adult themes. So our, our, our writings or our content or even sometimes our podcast might have, you know, swearing in it. It might have, you know, other things in the books. There might be, you know, uh, uh, sexual scenes or whatever it may be because those things are part of the human experience. And so watching more interviews with Andrew Clavin and kind of his philosophy on literature and realizing what your goal should be in literature, um, I don't know how much of this he would ag- ag- agree with at this point, but you know that first half, I definitely think so. But for us, what came out of those interviews with him was, oh man, like part of the problem is is that the good stories take it too far, and the Christians act like none of this stuff exists. They 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 whitewash reality, whereas the you know the the non Christians and the really good stories and all this and they, they just, they, they focus too much. It's like, you know, Game of Thrones, it was like, came for the sex, stayed for the plot was was the motto that people had for that show. Um, so we thought there has to be some sort of in-between. And so one of the things that we want to do is we do want to start publishing books. I'm going to try and write the first one. Um, but that was one of the impetuses for Solomon's Corner as a business rather than just a nonprofit. We want to actually try and engage the culture as a business and having a rightful place in the marketplace because everybody who's Christian for a long time was like, nonprofit this, nonprofit that, blah, 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 blah. But we think that we can monetize uh, the intellectual life, and part of that is writing good books. So I can't guarantee you that I'm going to win five Edgar whatever awards, but um, I, I do think that... Uh, one of the things that we want to inspire people to do is write more. We want to inspire people to think more and we want to make sure that they're not just writing books that are, you know, happy go lucky. Jesus got my, you know, bunny back for me kind of stories. We want them to really teach a, a deep idea or, or a virtue or something like that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the main characters or uh, has to be a Christian or even like the philosophy books have to be overtly arguing for the gospel these kinds of things, the intellectual life is meant to be some something where you integrate uh, your knowledge of reality with who you are as a person, and you make sure that those things come in line. And that kind of gets into Sertiange and Kuiper. So Sertiange was the uh, is a Catholic monk who was writing during uh, writing during nineteen. What was this book published? I'm checking right now. Yep. Okay, here we go. 1934 uh, is uh, the first publication of this book. So, um, and this is the intellectual life. And this, this says it was first published in 1921. Preface According to, to the 1934 reads. edition. According to Goodreads, it was 1921. Well, there's... Yeah. It says literally, I'm holding the book, a vocation is not fulfilled by vague reading and few scattered writings A.D. Sertelange, preface to the 1934 edition. Yeah, I understand it was the 1934 edition that says it was first published March 9th, 1921. So it's 100 years old. Oh, no way. First published in 1920. So I guess that's the one. 1921. Yeah, so there was, so we've got a second edition. So he writes the preface. All right, so the intellectual life, Sertiange and Kuiper and stuff. So we get into, you know, we've gone through, you know, Philip Ashey, Andrew Clavin. Now we come kind of to this chiasm here, 
uh, of Kuiper and Sertiange. Um, when it, so what happened was is that we went to this Acton event where I met with a professor there, uh, we'll call him Dr. Bud, and uh, he uh, graciously uh, decides that he's going to have a conversation with me, and one of the, in that conversation, he, he recommends Sertiange. And uh, I had picked up Kuiper, because it was three bucks, and his book on scholarship, and it was very small and thin, <clears throat> and had been recommended to me at this event as well. And everybody at that event had said, don't get a PhD. That's what I wanted to do. That's how I thought, you know, God wanted to use me was get a PhD, go do that thing. Literally every professor I talked to told me, do you have kids? Yes. Then stop right now, turn around and go get a job. And uh, it was pretty discouraging uh, experience, uh, to say the least. I was still young, still had felt like I, I could pretty much do what I wanted to do. And to have people just tell me, nope, too late for you was a was a difficult pill to swallow. Um, but I ended up getting exposed to Kuiper and Sertiange. And these two thinkers um, are, are kind of the basis for the intellectual life. Because after I finished seminary, my wife and I read this book, or at least I did, and, and I kind of gave her the summaries of it. And I said, you know, I want to live this life. I want to be an intellectual. And one of the things that Sertiange talks about, and Abraham Kuiper, is that you're not supposed to try and be an egghead or an ivory tower uh, you know, uh, uh, king, you're supposed to be a, a person who demonstrates that the intellectual life is something that's a vocation or something you're called to, despite maybe your occupation, your job. And so God may have gifted you in this, but it's not your accolades and your, and your degrees that make you qualified for the intellectual life. It's, do you want it? Do you want to live this life? And so, um, one of the, the things that Sertiange and Kuiper talk about is the fact that when you finish your degrees, Kuiper specifically on this one, and Kuiper's the Reformed guy, for those that don't know, uh, and I'm not saying that I hold to these guys full-blown theology, but they wrote two good books, and I recommend them to both Catholic and Protestant. They're very good. What they say is, is that Kuiper specifically on this note is to go back into your communities and be an example of what it looks like to pursue the truth. And, and to be an example of a higher life for those who didn't have the privilege to go get educated and to be a resource for those people. And so uh, Sertiange, following a similar thought uh, and writing around the 1920s and then, you know, publishing again in 1934, um, you know, the world is going crazy. And he explicitly says this in one of the, in one of the quotes. He says, uh, and this is on our, um, on our uh, website, he says in this, uh, in the very beginning pages, he says, Here I am, a man of the 20th century, living in a time of permanent drama, witnessing upheavals such as perhaps the globe never saw. What have I to do for the panting, palpitating century? More than ever before, thought is waiting for men and men for thought. The world is in danger for lack of life-giving maxims. We are in a train rushing ahead at top speed, no signals visible. The planet is going it knows not where. Its law has failed. Who will give it back its son? And he says later on, he says that the, that the intellectual life is not for the faint of heart. It's, it's not an easy life. It's for those people who want to work hard and they want to pursue a, a deep understanding of God's truth and of God and to share that with others. Um, in that sense, it's, it's uh, evangelistic, but it's not merely sharing the gospel. It's, it's, probably better termed as discipleship. He says, I say deepening, uh, a deepening of your understanding. He says, I say deepening in order to set aside the idea of superficial tincture of knowledge. A vocation is not fulfilled by vague reading and a few scattered writings. The life of study is austere and imposes grave obligations. It pays, it pays richly, but it exacts an initial outlay that few are capable of. We give ourselves from the heart if truth is to give itself to us, truth serves only its slaves. And so this book became, you know, a, a inspiration for me to actually start living the intellectual life on my own. And I'm not any genius or anything like that. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like Solomon's Corner is something that we should do is because I'm not a, a genius. I'm, I'm just a normal guy like you who went and decided to get a degree. Sure, 
but I'm you'll find I'm not I'm not the I'm not somebody who can know 30 languages or who can write Greek and English simultaneously like some professors have been legendarily described. I'm started Solomon's Corner from the standpoint of well if one of the principles of the intellectual life is that you be an example to others. Well, what would that look like with the internet and with podcasting and things like that? Well, it would look like trying to bring people along with you and and using the technology that we have to try and show people what that's like. And so Abraham Kuyper and Sertiange, they kind of give us this backbone for that. And, um, and so at the time that I discovered these books, um, again, I said that I was at the Acton University Conference, which is awesome. It's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I highly recommend you guys check it out. It's a great event. It's five days. You'll get to meet with some of the best uh, Catholic and Protestant thinkers out there, and it's one of the most unique conferences out there because it really brings together um, a lot of different Christian backgrounds, and it's just really, really a great time. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but there was a professor there that I wanted to do my PhD under, so I went to all of his lectures on natural law, and I asked him at the end of his last one, I said, hey, I want to be... Um, I, I want to talk with you about doing PhD work under on natural law. You know, I was, I was in, if you have any advice, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. And he said, well, why don't you uh, take my card and, and give me a call sometime and, and we can talk. And so I uh, took his card and I, I was still in seminary. I was, I was still, you know, even though all those professors told me, you know, you should just stuff your dream of a PhD down the tubes. I was, I was an athlete and I was like, well, I've heard that before. I know exactly what to do. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna dig deep, drag my family through hell, <laughs> make sure that they're tough, you know, that they can survive on bread and water and the pages of great men. To be clear, and I'm you not know, that tough. No, I'm not a very no. tough woman. So. Yeah, well, neither am I. I <laughs> That's true. You're not a tough woman. No, I'm not a tough woman, but I am a prima donna. <laughs> um, so you know, that's that wasn't gonna fly. So, uh, but. Dr. Bud, as we'll call him, let the reader understand. Those of you who are big fans of natural law, I guarantee you, you know who this person is. Um, All but, the people who love natural law and don't know who this is. Yeah, like, yeah, well, it's pretty who is pretty it? fair to say I that. Know. Yeah, but, um, but anyway, so he decided to give me some of his time. And uh, I hope to have him on the podcast. Uh, but, you know, he gave me a lot of his time, actually, um, which is, you know, for somebody that he doesn't know or whatever, it was really a God thing. I mean, he he took three hours out of his time uh, and talked to me uh, while my wife was, you know, with our first kid. And um, we were in a, a difficult situation. I was working two jobs and I was going to school full time, trying to do the master's. And um, Dr. Bud gave me three hours of his time and he, he just talked to me about what I wanted to do and and what I could, how, what I wanted to study and, and told me different stories of people who had gotten PhDs and regretted it and stories of people who wanted to get PhDs and finally got them. And he just really invested in me. And, uh, and, you know, uh, I told him about Solomon's Corner not too long ago and he still remembered me and we've had some correspondence back and forth. And so it's been cool to see, uh, how God has used him, uh, in my life. And, and so anyway, we have this conversation. He says, you need to get Sertiange, and you need to read him before you decide on what you want to do. And uh, he really laid the groundwork for me to understand that the university was changing, that the PhD, you know, my, my idea was, well, as long as I work really, really hard, um, I understand the odds are against me, but I've, you know, being an athlete and, and being a scholarship at a D1 university, I know all about the odds and how they're difficult to attain and all those kinds of things. Well, at the end of the day, um, Dr. Bud was, was wise and he said, look, like if you really want to be able to provide students with a, with a deep philosophical education, the universities are just changing. They're moving towards massive online education. And this was several years ago now. This was about five years ago. This was, yeah, back in 2015. So it was seven years ago now. Yeah, seven years ago now. So online education, a lot of schools were still trying to hold on to on-campus stuff and online education, and especially in the seminary space. The PhD wasn't going to matter 
uh, from the standpoint of having any sort of deep impact on students, which is why I wanted to get a PhD in the first place, is because I wanted to actually uh, engage the culture. And so we, you wouldn't be able to actually um, go in and, and have a meaningful philosophical class with a thousand students. This is what a lot of places were experimenting with. Dr. Bud told me about this. You know, if you have massive online education, you can't have a thousand papers that are 25 pages long on Aristotle's metaphysics. You just, you, you won't be able to grade it. The student won't get the benefit. And so you have to move to multiple choice tests. So that kind of opened up the idea of like, well, then what are we supposed to do about these, this, this education and, and, and how are things going? And so he recommends the intellectual life. And I start to read this. And one of the takeaways from the intellectual life was that if you are a dad or a family man, you have to understand that you actually have an advantage over the ivory tower professor. The ivory tower professor is important because he still gives you the, uh, the deep, deep truths that require a lot of focus and a lot of research. And let's just be honest, not all those guys are ever even remembered. Um, we very rarely do you have an Albert Einstein who comes along in a various field or a William Lane Craig, not to say that he's like Einstein, but he's prominent. You don't get these big, huge academic powerhouses very often that have a massive influence on the culture as well as on the university. But one thing's for sure, and I learned this also from my dad and, and my mom, was that a, a, a father has a uh, can have an influence on the intellectual life of his kids. And so uh, both my mom and my dad really, really emphasize you got to be a thinker. You need to think. You need to think through why you're doing what you're doing. You need to make sure that you have reasons for why you believe what you believe. And so we were doing apologetics without us really knowing it. Um, my dad was very much into Francis Schaeffer, and my mom was very much into uh, understanding, you know, the word and and instilling a passion and love for God in us. So that combination was really powerful. All that to be said, that when it came to my conversation with Dr. Bud, and after reading The Intellectual Life, I realized that I wasn't at a disadvantage necessarily being a dad and wanting to live the intellectual life. It was that my focus was going to have to be far more intense and and that I was going to have to pick and choose what was really important to me. I wouldn't be able to have the luxury of getting distracted like an ivory tower academic might be able to do and go down a rabbit hole to really piece together this elaborate dissertation or this elaborate thesis on something. Because what Sertian says in the book is that when you're a dad or you're a family man, uh, you have an advantage, actually, over the ivory tower academic oftentimes, which is that you get to experience being itself through existence of creation and reality in ways that the ivory tower academic doesn't. So think of, you know, maybe a guy who's out at sea and he has this deep spiritual experience because he's able to look at the stars. Well, the astronomer is at the university looking at it through a telescope. But there's obviously a difference between the guy out at sea who's in creation and experiencing God in the vastness of the ocean and the vastness of space at the same time, and he is by himself rocking on a boat. He has a, a different experience than the ivory tower guy who's in, you know, looking through a telescope, or the father who sees the value of life and its meaning in the face of a child. That's another example that Sertiange brings up. So this is how we kind of came to be. We, you know, Phil Ashy kind of was the impetus who kind of got the kick in the, in, in the pants to get us going. Andrew Clavin kind of gave us this inspiration to to really think about, you know, is there an opportunity to disrupt, you know, Christian publishing with, uh, well, not necessarily Christian publishing, but just having a a, a more uh, mature approach to Christian virtues and 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 literature in that regard. And then, you know, Dr. Budd and Sertianj and Kuiper kind of laid the intellectual life foundation of, hey, the intellectual life is what we're at. So the, the content that we have, that's what we want it to direct at, whether that's fiction, whether that's uh, philosophy, theology, or history, or academic stuff. We want that to be aimed at the spiritual nourishment of the intellectual life. And again, 
That doesn't mean you have to necessarily be a Christian. It just means that I think you're at a disadvantage. Um, and so you'll still benefit from us, even if you're not a Christian. We welcome you into this little community of things. And uh, our goal is to help you guys live that intellectual life to the best of your ability. And we hope that you will continue to join us on the way. In the meantime, the big news that we have, are um, we are going to be launching our e-store. Um, obviously, the way you can support us with that is when it goes up, make sure you buy some stuff. Um, that is not meant to be our primary means of income. And Lindsay, feel free to jump in on some yeah. of these things uh, with whatever you want to say. Um, but the e-store is, uh, is going to be uh, you know, swag, t-shirts, mugs. Uh, we've got some custom mugs. Some of you have already gotten yours, um, because you were at some events and, uh, we really appreciate your support. We're going to be, uh, making custom pens. One of the big things that you need to have for your intellectual life is a good solid pen. Um, and so we are going to be making, uh, custom, uh, uh, fountain and rollerball pens for the intellectual life and selling those there as well. Um, the other thing we're going to do is interviews. We're going to be ramping up interviews over the next year. We're going to start getting invites out. We already have an invite out to Jack Carr, uh, the author of The Terminal List. Um, he uh, is actually a very good thinker on military history and uh, have had some conversations with his publicist that there is a there is an opportunity for him to possibly come in early 2023. So Pray for that or cross your fingers, whatever you want to do. But in order for us to get those kinds of people, we really need you to leave Apple podcast reviews. So if we want to get blue check marks on here, we need to have a good review rate. So if you have not left a review on Apple podcasts, please go and leave a five star review on Apple podcasts. Make sure you write it. I have one here from uh, one of our, our listeners. Uh, really appreciated this. This is from Sediments. Uh, great Christian podcast. Daniel is an intellectual, thank you very much, for the normal man and can articulate in a way that can be understood by anyone. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. He has a unique views on politics and how it ties in with Christianity and events in history. Great guests and discussion that is apt for these modern times. Five stars. And that's what's important is those written five stars. We are going to be highlighting these reviews. So, you know, uh, if you are a family friend or a close friend, you know, you don't have to get super uh, love story on there. But um, but if you do, you know, uh, just make sure that you're identifiable so that that way I can embarrass you on our on our show. Um, but anyway, so that's one of the ways that you can do that. Um, and again, this is going to be stuff that's going to be happening hopefully over the next year. We are reaching out to affiliate marketing. We're trying to uh, get some uh, partners. Uh, we did a partnership with Crossway earlier this year where you guys got 50% off of Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Thanks, Crossway, for doing that. We really appreciate it. Um, so uh, that was for our newsletter subscribers. So if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, again, go subscribe. Um, but what you can do for interviews and affiliate marketing is you can let us know, and eStore really, is you can tell us what you want on the eStore. Or you can tell, like I know that we're working on the Yeti, Daryl, we're working on it. And uh, we're going to try and get some Yetis out there with Solomon's Corner, maybe some scotch glasses. I'm looking at what other people have. It looks pretty freaking awesome. Um, but also what interviews you want us to have, like who are the authors you want to hear us talk to. And again, they don't have to be Christians. I know that I'm planning on putting an invite out to uh, James Lindsay here uh, soon. So, you know, they don't have to be Christian authors. We want to talk to people who are good thinkers. Um then uh, the uh, affiliate marketing, what products do you actually want us to reach out to? We're looking at some pro-life coffee pot products. Uh, found some the other day. We're going to try and do some stuff with them. Uh, and again, these people don't know that we're reaching out to them necessarily, uh, other than the Jack Carr publicist. We're in contact with them. Um, but we are going to start reaching out to these people and trying to get some more uh, meaningful interviews out here. The next one that's coming up is Dr. Brian Huffling. He will be here um, again in October. We're going to be talking about UFOs. Uh, he did his master's thesis on UFOs and, and uh, has a lot of interesting insight into the Christian uh, faith and its relevance there. So uh, I'm not a big UFO guy, but hey, if Matt Walsh is, maybe we can get him to, to give us a shout out on that. The last two things are publishing. I am uh, going to start working on a book here to try and get our first book published in 2023. That is going to be to... Um, try and get our foot wet in the publishing industry so that that way I'm the one taking the risk and uh, I can learn, you know, how to get a book promoted and get it out there. And so we'll need you guys to support us in that regard. 
Um, again, if you have certain topics that you really liked that we covered on the show uh, that you would like to have in a book form, that is a way that you can help us out because we want to write what you're going to buy. So, uh, you know, make sure that you are actively listening and that you are sending us your ideas and that you are sending us those things. Criticisms, those don't matter so much. You know, we've got a good inner circle as far as uh, I have a, a Solomon's Corner VIP group that gives me feedback on, you know, what uh, needs to be criticized and what doesn't need to be criticized. Um, and so I have a I have a good, solid feedback system there. And shout out to the SV at Solomon's Corner VIP group. Um, really appreciate all your feedback. So publishing is the next thing. And then the last thing is video. So that'll probably be the last thing we try to knock out in the next year. Obviously, interviews and affiliate marketing, you know, those things are going to be here, whether the e-store is successful or publishing is successful. But video will be that last thing that we try and get up in 2023 um, and be on YouTube and Rumble. We do have those channels already, so we are going to start um, promoting those later on. So... Once again, if you missed it, mail at solomonscorner.com. That is where you can send all of your great positive feedback and ideas about interviews, affiliate marketing, or companies that you want to buy from that you would love us to partner with, you know, publishing ideas based on content on the show, not just your favorite pet topic, but content that you've listened to and want a deeper dive on, okay? So we're not going to just take rando subjects. <laughs> uh, Daniel, I'd really like you to talk about the theological significance of coffee. Um, yeah, not going not gonna to do Can that. Can you talk about women and whether or not they should wear leggings? Yeah, yeah. I hate that debate. I, it drives me nuts. Um, so anyway, uh, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, uh, there, there you go. That's what we, we need. We, and, you know, obviously like, subscribe, follow, do all those things. We really appreciate you guys coming with us on this journey, and uh, we look forward to dropping our next podcast next week. We've got some more exciting content for you, and uh, we hope that you will continue to support us. So thank you once again, and uh, you guys have a great weekend. God bless, and uh, don't forget, keep thinking.